Thanks for pressing play. If you love the serendipitous magic that can only occur in a real conversation, you're in the right place. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, the number one real dialogue podcast for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and category designers with a different mind. Today, a very special episode. My friend, Dr. Giora Iron is here, and we get into all of it. What's happening in Israel now? the realities of the situation Israel faces, and what's likely to happen next. A little bit about Giora. He's a very high-profile person in Israel. He is considered uh, a legend in the startup tech world. He's known as one of the key players in creating uh, the tech startup VC ecosystem there, known as, quote-unquote, Startup Nation. He started his career as a senior executive in uh, National Semiconductor in the United States. And uh, subsequent to that, he's founded, co-founded, and or been the chairman of uh, more than 25 deep tech startups. Uh, Dr. Yaron is also a PhD in applied physics from Hebrew University. And most recently, he was the uh, chairman. He's now the former chairman of Tel Aviv University. You and I got to know each other years ago when we were both at a company called Mercury Interactive and Giora was uh, on the board and ultimately became our chairman who helped save the company from a horrible situation. And uh, the amount of respect I have for this man is extraordinary. Giora is also a decorated Israeli Defense Forces combat officer. And today he serves as a strategic advisor to the Israeli Ministry of Defense. No matter what you think about this war, no matter how much you think you might know, there's a lot to learn in this riveting, captivating, in-depth, no BS conversation with a living Israeli legend. Also, it's important to note this episode was recorded on October 26th, 2023. Now, hey-ho, let's go. So shall we begin, uh, doctor? Doctor? <laughs> Is this such a formal session? How about Giora? No. <laughs> I, I, I always refer to you as my friend and mentor. Okay, that's fine. That's better than doctor, you know. <laughs> so, of course, my... First question, Giora, is, is how are you? How's your family? Our family is uh, fine. Uh, you know, we live in Caesarea, which is pretty far away, not on American standards, but by Israeli standards. So there are no alarms here. There are no missiles here. I live next to the golf course, the one and only in Israel. I see all the carts playing golf. So we are really not impacted by uh, the hostility events. But uh, as you can imagine, uh, we all have uh, friends and relatives uh, that live uh, closer to Gaza. In fact, we have very good friends that live very close to Gaza. Uh, we initially, in the early days, we hosted two families with eight kids at our home. Uh, and the kids loved it, uh, but their parents, for whatever reason, didn't feel comfortable after a while. Uh, so they uh, so they went uh, to an hotel, but uh, we have an open house uh, to host families until the hostility is over. And uh, 
we have a job to do as a country, as a state, as part of the Western world. Uh, we have a job to do and uh, we'll get it done. And uh, obviously, I know that you served in the IDF in some pretty significant positions. You yourself have been in combat. Uh, I assume you have friends uh, right now in the IDF, Giora? Of course. Yes. Of course. Of course. Many, many. Yes. Um, and so. Um, and, family, and family members, uh, obviously. Not uh, direct, but my brother has uh, two young sons that have been drafted, a son in law that has been drafted. Uh, yeah, yeah, we are on. Uh, we've woken up. Yes, and I've heard talking to a few of my other Israeli friends that it's it's strange right now in Israel because um, there are almost no young men between the age of eighteen and and twenty five around. That everybody's been called. Is that is that how it feels to you? No, I said that's a bit of exaggeration, but uh, there are three hundred and sixty thousand that have been drafted. Uh, which is a big number, uh, and it's a situation that obviously will not be able to hold for too long. Uh, there's a delicate balance uh, on let's get it, the job done, and we know how to get the job done, uh, and the hostages uh, that we have in these uh, savages' hands. So we're kind of trying to... Uh, accomplish the mission and uh, get wipe out the Hamas, if you will, and uh, at the same time uh, save all the hostages. Uh, whether the two tasks can be done uh, at 100%, I'm really not sure about it. We are dealing with barbarian savages. Uh, and, you know, we live in a Western society. You know the Israeli value system. Uh, we kind of, uh, you know, we have a, a statement that says uh, we live by the book and by the sword. We are high-tech nation, we are cyber nation, we are AI nation on one hand, and as needed, uh, we know how to get the job done. Now, you know, it's very interesting, at least in my view, that it's like clockwork. We've been forced into similar but very different situation in 1973. Uh, I don't know, I can turn the camera around and at least you can see. Uh, this is my home office, and I don't know if you can clearly see the picture. I can, Gura. Uh, on the wall, it's a soldier carrying a stretcher uh, in uh, Mount Hermon in 1973, the time that my brother was killed. We were taken by surprise, a different type of surprise. It was a misinterpretation of military against military. Uh, so that was 1973. 30 years later, uh, in 2002, we had uh, again one of those barbarians blow up in the middle of hotel in Natanya, which is a city between... Uh, Tel Aviv and Kaysaria, pretty much killing everyone. But it was Passover dinner, you know, it's a very holy day for the Jews. And it's a family event. It's uh, like uh, Christmas Eve on your calendar. Family gets together and, you know, a big meal, and a ceremony. And in that month alone, we had uh, 120 casualties 
most of which were murdered in buses exploding in the middle of town, uh, uh, barbarians going with uh, and blowing up themselves in the middle of a restaurant uh, and the likes. Uh, Sharon was at the time the prime minister and he held the position that holding back is a power, don't allow your anger control you and the likes. But after this event, He basically went ballistics and we went into the most dangerous places in Jenin and, uh, and uh, Nablus and uh, just pulled out the terrorists in their, in their hair out and just settled it, all the terror in the, what's called the West Bank. And now 30 years later again, uh, 2023, uh, we have this... Uh, Black Saturday, uh, which was a holiday on the Israeli uh, calendar. And uh, actually, we fell asleep on the switch. And the reason we fell asleep on the switch has, uh, I guess, two legs to it. One is the strategic leg. You know, we are part of the Western society, and the thinking was, yeah, we have an enemy... Uh, Uh, behind the wall, uh, let's try and improve their lives, give them jobs, you know, we're negotiating. Should we allow 10,000 or should we allow 20,000 to come and work in Israel uh, and bring cash back into, uh, into Gaza? Uh, but it's a Western type of uh, debate. Uh, let's give them more. No, it's a bit too risky. Uh, And we allowed uh, to bring uh, money in from Arab countries uh, to help them out. At the same time, there was another school of thought in Israel that, listen, Hamas is a deadly terrorist uh, organization. They're really a leg of ISIS uh, that wants to build an Islamic state, which is really the part of the world that we are fighting today, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, we're at the forefront. Uh, but that's why you see many of the Western leaders coming to Israel, uh, partially support to Israel and to the moral values of uh, Israel, which is part of the Western society. But part of it is uh, very practical. Uh, they know that this thing... You know, it started in uh, Iraq and Iran and in Afghanistan and the likes. Uh, and it was against uh, Christianity. Now it's against uh, the Jews. And tomorrow, I don't know how many more uh, religious movements are out there. There are quite a few or different facets of uh, religious movements. And these guys want to build, uh, or these terrorists want to build uh, an Islamic state. Uh, we are, and we're on the way. So we really have no choice but to go ballistic, uh, and we know how to get the job done. And again, I've been in combat uh, in 67 war, in the Retrition War, in Yom Kippur War. In fact, I need to send you a picture uh, from the Swiss, uh, from the 73 war, where there was, uh, it's called Koach Giora, the force of Giora. We didn't want to give names of, you know, a company commander, battalion commander and the likes, uh, because, you know, it serves the enemy. It knows what the size of the force is in front of them. 
So there was a Giora force, I'll send you a picture offline, uh, from Suez from that time. So we know how to get the job done. We'll get it done. I don't think we have any other option uh, but to get it done. It will, uh, unfortunately, uh, take more casualties, but at the end of the day, you cannot win, or at least I don't know how you can win without having boots on the ground. So we have jets flying uh, all over the place and dropping bombs. But at the end of the day, you have to go in and pull these guys with their hair out, uh, out f- from the tunnels they are hiding and uh, do what we did in 2002 and do what we did in 1973. And uh, it'll get done. Uh, the complexity comes in with the hostages that they have. You know, they have kids, they have... Uh, Uh, elderly people at the age of 85. By Western society values, you've never been get into such a situation. So that's the problem. Yes. And um, you know the horrors of war. You've lived it. You lost your brother. I assume you've lost other friends. Oh, many friends. Family members. Yes, yes, yes. And so... I've spoken with many warriors after their time in the service, and the vast majority of them that I have spoken with, including Colin Powell, uh, as they experience war and they gain they gain life experience, many of them, and Colin Powell was a great example. I, I talked to him about this exact topic, which is how legendary warriors, when they get older often become peacemakers because they know. And so you've had the experience of the horrors of war. You've lost people who are as close to you as possible that you love. You know many, many, many people uh, serving now. Tell me about how you feel about um, about this war and, and about the escalation of this war. So it's not a question of peace. We wanted to have peace, meaning uh, we did everything that's humanly possible. We took the risk of bringing in uh, 20,000 employees on a daily basis to Israel. What ended up being the case? The workers, the employees that we gave jobs drew maps of, not maps of, you know, the country. They drew maps of streets in in the farms in the kibbutzim that we gave them jobs. They gave uh, drawings of, uh, of, uh, of buildings where the door is, uh, where, where, meaning detailed as it can be. Now, if we didn't have the value system that we had, they would have never uh, been able to execute flawlessly as they have. So we were caught uh, off the switch. The forces that came in, there are so many heroic uh, stories that uh, would make you blow away. I mean, now as we speak, they're interviewing a lady. Uh, I guess she's the age of 30. That was the head of the emergency, the ERT team in one of the kibbutzim. So they had a day of a kibbutz Nachalos. They had, there were about 10, 
against a 300, more so than I don't like pistols. I have a friend in a very close friend that goes back to the days of a pre Yom Kippur war. In fact, he was in a, the paratroopers. I was in the Golani, and we were kind of where they finished. We started and the like. So very good friends, and they live there. I obviously invited them to come home and the likes. So they were actually on this Shabbat. They were not in. A, in the village, but their kids were there. They are my age, so the kids are, uh, I guess they are now around 50, 45. So they have uh, one of their sons and one of their daughters run into, to defend the, to defend the village. And with pistols, they managed to kill two terrorists that came with machine guns and RPGs and uh, everything fully loaded. They killed two of them, so decided to skip their village and move to the next one. So uh, the amount of heroic uh, stories that you have around this event with uh, heroic civilians that are all timers, not as old as I am, but they are 50, 55, uh, young ladies, uh, young uh, she was Nitsan, she was a former officer in the in IDF. Drawn the other daughter, uh, their son. With pistols, they managed to uh, to block uh, the way of the terrorists. So, and uh, eventually many were killed by trying to, uh, to defend their village or the kibbutz. You know, it's easy if you need to go, imagine that you need to go and conquer a city. So you know that this is the enemy, uh, this is us, and there's a very well-practiced drill, how do you take over a city? I won't go into the details, that's not important. But when you have in the city hostages, you have your civilians, and some of them, the terrorists dressed up with, uh, with IDF clothes. So we needed to differentiate, and we differentiated by some marks that we've put Okay, now we know there are terrorists, these are not. But you know that there are civilians there, there are kids. You can't go in the normal drill, you know, stand next to the door, you throw an hand grenade, then you go in at 360 degrees. It's a very well-practiced drill, how you take over a room, a building. But you can do it. You know, there are kids there. You know, there are women there. You know, there are elderly there. And therefore, we had ended up having such a huge number of casualties because of the attempt not to uh, kill any civilians. And that's why it took so long. You know, there's another story, which is, uh, again, they, pre- they took advantage. I'll share with you a very specific story. They, uh, next to cross-sections where you had the red light, they ended up putting an ambush. The ambush was having a terrorist in a hole that most likely was drilled beforehand when they were working for us. They dropped in food so that they have food and they can stay there for a longer period than just one or two days. And that's why we had no other choice but to go and scan the area for more terrorists. And we just had to pull them out and kill them one by one. 
or take them into, into captivity so we can start, uh, uh, the Shabak can do its job by putting them into investigation and getting more details. So it's not the, when you talk about peace, I don't even know how you spell peace. It's P-E-A-C, it's P-I-C, make pieces out of these terrorists, or what is peace? It's not a question of peace. It's a question of a Islamic war to build an Islamic state. So I don't know that you can talk peace, meaning I don't know how you spell it. Yes. And this is something that I think um, is being lost, at least here in some circles. Uh, the, the, the reaction here at places like Harvard and Stanford and to see, th- this is maybe the one that boggles my mind the most, to see rallies uh, that are, quote-unquote, queers for Palestine, uh, gay people. It's like, uh, you do realize what Hamas does to gay people. So there's this very strange thing happening here with uh, sympathy for... Um, the Gazan people, the Palestinian people, metastasizing into some bizarre support for one of the worst organizations that terrorizes its people every day. It's very concerning to me. Do do you have a sense for what's going on with some of this uh, bizarre um, public opinion? Uh, I believe I have a... Listen, if I was not exposed to all this evil, then obviously, you know, Western values, like you said, how about peace? How's that for a choice? We'd love to have it. We'd love to have it. The problem is that Hamas is a... By the way, we can kill all the Hamas people. That's not, can we do it or not? Yes, we can and we get it done. The problem is, is like with ISIS, you can't kill the spirit, you can't kill the dream of building an Islamic state. So I guess uh, what this, uh, I don't even know how to call these uh, liberals. It's not liberals, it's, I don't know, it's people that got their minds a little bit off the chart. Uh, they probably need to sit in a shelter Uh, with a baby in the room while their home is being burned and smoke is coming in and you have a nine-month child that was just born uh, with you and you put a finger into his mouth so he doesn't cry and uh, the husband is uh, keeping the handle of uh, the shelter in attempt to prevent them from blowing in and in some cases they open it up kill the husband, rape the wife, shut the kid, shoot the dog. Again, I love the idea of peace, and and I'm not being uh, cynical about it. Yes. Uh, Live and let live. But the history shows, and it goes back to 1948, and because of our naivete, I mean, you've seen me in the Silicon Valley. We know each other from business. We... We've known each other for the better part for 20 years, Giora. <laughs> exactly. So, meaning, let us do AI, let us do cyber, let us build companies. 
let us invest in companies, let us grow the next generation of entrepreneurs. That's what we like to do. And we are trying to lead by example and have them do the same. You know, I've established, a, again, it's not in the West Bank or in Gaza, but in the Negev, I established a company called Siraj with Bedouins, bringing high tech into the Bedouin community. They're great, 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 great guys. And we wanted to, and, and they have families in Saudi Arabia and uh, in Dubai and, and the likes. We would love to do the same uh, in Gaza. You know, do you know Eyal Waldman, my friend, founder of Melanox? No, I don't. So Eyal is a good friend. His daughter was in a big party uh, at the time. And I don't know if it was planned or not planned. But the terrorists went into the, found a big party with 3,000 participants. Peace, dancing, kissing, uh, you should see pictures uh, of what happened there. They went with machine guns and slaughtered. Some of the bodies you can't even recognize. Some been burned, some been blown up to pieces. Uh, that's why we have uh, unknown casualties today because you know, a couple of weeks have gone by and we can't uh, identify uh, who is who. Yes. So, Eyal gave jobs and built a Melanox. You know, they were acquired for $6.6 billion by NVIDIA. Wow. By a networking company. NVIDIA is a, is a CPU company. Yes, uh, I know well. I have a, a friend of mine who's on the NVIDIA board, actually. Okay. So ask him about Melanox, ask him about Eyal Waldman, a good friend of mine. And the company was founded where, Giora? In Israel. In Israel. Melanox, yeah. they're in Yokneam, uh, yeah. not far away from uh, what's known today as Tower Jazz, which is the fab that I've built uh, for National Semi at the time. So his daughter was in the party, and uh, the minute uh, I found out about it, I called Eyal said, yeah, do you have any hint uh, where she is? I said, I don't have a hint, but I know that you and I and pick up some other NVIDIA guys that I know, they have a brain of, I mean, they're the ultimate innovators. Let's go down to the Gaza area and uh, start asking some dumb questions until we find her. And uh, she was finally identified as dead. So you ask me about peace, yeah, I'd love to have it, and I'd love to have a Stanford guy, a genius from Stanford, sit either with me or with Eyal and discuss peace and see how he feels after the discussion. Yeah, it's a very novel idea, but not when people have this fanatic view of building an Islamic state. U.S. Uh, US has experienced uh, on its own. Initially, the war was against Christianity. Now it's against Jews. I saw a video of a Hamas leader who said, first, we want to kill all the people who celebrate on Saturday, and then we're going to kill all the people who celebrate on Sunday. But the ISIS movement started the other way around. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's get the Sunday people first. Celebrate on Sunday, and then we get to those that celebrate on Saturday. So, so, so I think this is something that's not understood in the West, and, and you touched on it, and I'd love to expand on it with you if I could. 
which is there is a naivete about culture that our firm belief that everyone is created equal and that everybody should have equal rights, which of course we all believe in, has failed to take into consideration that there is evil in the world and that there are evil cultures. Example I've been trying to use with Americans, independent of what's going on in Israel and Gaza right now to keep the heat out of it is, you know, we look at the way the Taliban treats women and women get stoned in the street for showing uh, an inch of, of, of flesh at their, uh, at, at their feet. And so there are cultures that do not value human life at all, don't share our values at all, that are barbaric, that are taught these things. One of the things try to explain to people, everything we believe, everything we value, we've been taught to value, including human life. And so there's this very good-hearted sort of desire to treat everybody well and to be kind and to turn the other cheek and all these 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 uh, Western beliefs, but to your point, when when you are behaving that way because that's the culture that you come from, and you make a huge mistake when you believe that all cultures are like that, and so why is it that people in the West, people in America, you spent so much time here, you spent so much time in Europe, some people fail to understand that there are cultures uh, like Hamas who say its main purpose is to kill all Jews. Hezbollah in that regards, by the way, which is on our northern border, comes from the same belief. You know, it's an evil uh, movement. It's Iran, it's Hamas, it's Hezbollah. Uh, They are trying to establish an Islamic world. Uh, you, you know, I don't know how well you know Judaism, but to become Jewish is very difficult. You have to, uh, you have to go to school and you have to, meaning you have to pass on it. There are barriers that are extremely high. Uh, it's not a welcoming type of religion. You so don't just speak. sign a form and, and... You don't sign a form. It's no, a you don't. You form. don't you pr- uh, uh, promise to light all the candles uh, f- for Hanukkah? <laughs> a, bit more, a, bit, a bit more complicated. Now, the Islamic movement is 180 degrees to the other side. Either you accept my belief or I shoot you. So, again, not all Islamics are bad. And the sadness of the situation in Gaza... I'm sure that there's a significant number, I don't know how, how big it is, of individuals in Gaza that all they want is to do chat GPT and bread and uh, cyber and DDoS and, and God knows what. Yes. Uh, but this is something that we cannot solve for them. The good guys in, the, <clears throat> in Gaza should have had an uprise against the bad guys. And I know it would have taken many casualties on the good side guys, because the Hamas is very brutal. I mean, they are very brutal. 
not different than what you see with the Taliban in, uh, in Afghanistan. But they failed to do it for whatever reason. And now we can't go and have a questionnaire. Are you a good guy? Are you a bad guy? It doesn't work that way. Now, why a smart guy in Stanford, Columbia, Harvard, or whatever, uh, would not understand that there are different people in society with different values? Meaning, you know, the American system, the Silicon Valley system, is about accept the other side, be open, there are gays, there are God knows what, everything, we're open society, accept and hug the one that's different than you. Why uh, don't they understand that there are different movements around the world? They don't think like that. Uh, that's beyond me. It's not, uh, you yes. know, I've teached in physics, in math, in it's something I cannot, I come from exact science. I don't know how people that are accepted to those academic institutions that obviously are smart people, why they don't, they accept gays as an example, straight gays, transangels and the likes, and they accept it, it's different and accept it myself. And why they don't accept the fact that people that live with different value systems. Yes. Either you think like I, I think, and your belief is like my belief, or I shoot you. And I have a different belief. I want to have peace and I want to build uh, AI companies and cyber companies. Why don't they manage to rationalize that? Yes. It's beyond me. So I, I don't know if you, I, 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 it boggles my mind as well, Giora. I, I don't know if you saw this. I'll send it to you. If you didn't, it was an extraordinary um, contributed article in Newsweek by uh, Basim Eid, who is a Palestinian human rights activist. And the uh, headline of the article says, Gaza could have been Singapore. Hamas turned it into ISIS. Exactly. By the way, my wife, Tzila, served in Gaza in, uh, we were drafted uh, in uh, 19, uh, believe it or not, it's before the earthquake, in uh, 1966 to 19, uh, she was 1968. She served in Gaza. The beaches there, the sand on the beach, let me tell you, you live in Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz is, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, Santa Cruz is uh, probably one and Gaza is 10. The sand is great. The beach is great. Uh, they could have built something that would be Singapore on steroids. This is the thing that I think people don't realize here, how beautiful this part of the world is and how if instead of, I've, I've seen reports, Giora, maybe you've seen different, tell me that over time, uh, approximately four out of 10 aid trucks that went to Gaza actually made it, that six of them, were used um, for uh, uh, nefarious intent, whether it was uh, allowing Hamas leaders to live like kings in, in Qatar and buy Bugattis and so forth, or, uh, of course, to, to build and buy munitions and, and so forth. And so one of the arguments he's making here is, you know, the, the whole world has donated massive amounts of money to this part, of, uh, to Gaza and to, and to Palestine, and if Hamas um, invested that money in infrastructure, in education, in entrepreneurship, 
And to your point, you know, people forget that Lebanon used to be called the Paris of the Middle East. Exactly. This, this part of both Israel and Gaza of the world is beautiful. We could have amazing resorts and convention centers and, and, and beach activities. And listen, if you want to throw in a little bit of Vegas, maybe a little bit of gambling, some shows, you can imagine a scenario where, um, you know, some of the most famous musical artists and, and, and other kinds of artists come and perform. Like it just, of course, I haven't been in Gaza, but I've been to Israel. I know the region. I know how beautiful it is. It just, it hurts my heart to think what could have been possible. So let me share with you, and I'll send you later on. Uh, Idamar Medical is a medical company that I've built named after my brother Idamar that was killed in 1973, got the highest award for bravery under fire. Uh, we ended up selling the company, unfortunately. Uh, you know, when you bring other shareholders, they have other interests. My interest was to continue to build the company. I will send you uh, offline. Uh, pictures from Gaza, where Mahmoud Abbas was the, uh, the honorary speaker that Idama Medical, with the logo of Idama Medical, held a sleep conference in Gaza, uh, made in Israel uh, and the likes. We brought in professors from uh, the U.S., our professors, professors from Gaza. We had a great collaboration uh, going on. And we could have taken this and duplicated it. You know, I'm now invested in 13 companies, uh, CEOs, open branches there. Start a, a Gazan company in Gaza, like I did in the Bedouin community. We could have done everything together. Right. So, well, and, and, what do we know about Israel? Good. Israel is, on a per capita basis, the most powerful technology, information technology country in the world. You know, the world that you and I live in, you're one of the godfathers, of course, of Startup Nation. Uh, hundreds of thousands of jobs. Uh, every, Virtually every major tech company in the world has operations in Israel. Uh, Startup Nation is a very real thing. Obviously, you were the chairman of Tel Aviv University for years to help strengthen the bond between the school and research uh, and the startup and venture community. I mean, these are all core skills and capabilities that have been built by Israel over time that could have been embraced here. And that was the whole idea. And again, I'll go back to Eyal, my friend. Melanox has operations in the West Bank. Eyal wanted to build operations in Gaza. Uh, Melanox is all about good technology, networking, parallel processing, I mean, it's not easy parallel processing, trust me. Uh, I've been party to developing some of the most advanced CPUs uh, at the time, to date. <laughs> you don't even count those CPUs. <laughs> we could have done it in Gaza. I'm sure there are smart people there, meaning genetically there's no reason why Correct. all the smartness would be in Israel, and in Gaza there's no... No smartness and no brains. I'm sure well, of course, people here people. seem to forget that uh, I believe it's 1.6 million Arabs live in Israel. Is that right, Gura? It's about uh, 20, 25 percent of the 20 percent of the population. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 and, yeah. And and are the Arabs and Israelis 
in Israel? Do they wake up every morning and fight with each other, yell at each other, no, kill each other? No, exactly, that's exactly, you know what? You really tried on the point. The Arabs in Israel want to become part of uh, Israel. They are part of Israel. You know, in the Technion, which is our MIT, the percentage of uh, Arabic uh, descent uh, is bigger in the Technion, in, which is our MIT, than the percent in the population. So, so you have a higher percentage representation mm-hmm. amongst Arabs at Technion, which is a, is a world-class institution than you do in yes. the population. Tran- yes. Translation, uh, the Israeli education system, who's created one of the greatest uh, technical schools in the world, is is training hundreds of thousands of Arabs over time, yes? Yes, and uh, you go to the hospitals. Uh, there are nurses, there are doctors. There, there, there are... Why would I care, meaning, when I lived in the valley, I worked with people, for, with Muslims, with Christians, with uh, Mormons. With why would you care? Uh, you want to believe in this God. I want to believe in this God. You don't want to believe in any God. Don't believe in any God. Why is it my business? We have to kill the competition. We have to outperform. We have to deliver on time. We need to have higher performance. We have to compete against our competitors and win the game with the customers. Who cares about your religious belief? So how, how how good are you at software? Can you can you write code? Are you a good marketer? Are you a good salesperson? <laughs> do you know how to do finance? Exactly. Do, do you understand the, complex business models, uh, et cetera, et cetera? Did we at Mercury, where we uh, work together, did we at Mercury care what was one no. religious belief? Who cared no, about as it? a matter of fact, one of the things I noticed at, at Mercury was how even though it was an Israeli company, and of course we had many Israeli, therefore, of course, Jewish uh, employees, we, we had people from, first of all, all around the world, we had operations all around the world who believed all kinds of things. And we had many, many, many Arabs working in Israel for Mercury. We had uh, people who uh, practiced, the, practiced Islam working for Mercury all over the world. Who cares? We had Russian people. We whatever. We had everybody. It doesn't matter. What mattered was, did you? Can you build a legendary company here with us? <laughs> exactly. So, to me, it's a, I'm as sad as, as one can be. First of all, on those that were killed on the Israeli side, the hostages. But I'm really sad about what the what the Hamas did to uh, to Gaza. We cannot have, a, you know, on, on a different scale, different times. U.S. didn't want to have missiles in Cuba, which is far, far, far away. We had, you know, we have this saying that Israel border is where the last crop is being grown. So we, we, we're right there. And the Hamas was on the other side, meaning it's a several hundreds of meters apart. We cannot allow that again. It would be you like an American, it would be like uh, Tijuana being fully, um, you know, uh, stocked with rockets and bombs and, and so forth, uh, uh, pointed right at California or at Laredo, no, but, Texas. Uh, it's, more, it's more than that. Uh, let me use uh, for this uh, uh, side of the U.S. In, in New York, 
the distance between a Fifth Avenue and Madison Avenue. And that's that's the distance where Israeli villages or kibbutzim are, and where Hamas basically starts. You cannot have that. It's impossible. No. No. So we'll have to fix that. We were hoping that we can build good uh, neighborship relations and the likes. It turned and, and backfired on us. They made drawings of our uh, of our kibbutzim. They made drawings of the buildings. They knew where the shelter is. They knew everything. I, I talked to an Israeli friend of mine um, shortly after this happened, Gura, who told me horror stories of Gazans who worked in the kibbutzim, who not only did the maps and the like, but came across with the terrorists to show them, oh, they're going to hide here, they're going to go here. Exactly. People they'd worked for for 20 years. They told the terrorists how, where they were to go kill them. Part of them were the terrorists. Yes, Meaning, of course. So imagine you host somebody, you want to think of a Stanford guy, which is obviously was accepted to Stanford. Uh, he's obviously a smart guy. You host somebody at your home. You bring him in. You show him the house. He sleeps over a... In your house, it's in your house, and it takes advantage of this. Uh, meaning, I don't know how a smart guy from Stanford, Columbia, Harvard can relate to it, unless is an extreme as uh, an extreme Muslim view that the world needs to turn and become an Islamic world. I, I just, it's really, it can't be something logical. It has to be some type of a belief. And the only belief I can think about is that a guy is a smart guy, but he has a religious belief that uh, Hamas, or the, not Hamas, that Islam needs to control the world, and that's how we rationalize it. So it's not the CPU, it's uh, it's the heart, that, the well, belief course- that... The horror show is, I've talked to my Muslim friends about it, about this many times over many years, and since the horrors of October 7th, they are angered by this. This is a radical bastardization of Islam. Of you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, and some of the Christian, radical Christian beliefs in the United States terrify me. And, and so... People who are good people of these faiths, this is not what the Quran teaches. This is not this is not what Islam teaches. One of my first heroes as a as a little boy was Muhammad Ali. Right? Mm-hmm. And this course. is not this is not what these people teach. Of course not. This is not what uh Islamic leaders uh teach. And so it's a bastardization, it's a it's a it's a warping of religion to for evil means, which of course has happened since the beginning of time. So my only way to kind of rationalize how a smart individual comes to the conclusion that uh, what's being done in Gaza by Israel is bad, is that he believes that the world should convert to his Islam and that one needs to have an ISIS a movement that takes over, uh, let's start with the Middle East, Iran, uh, and the likes, and continue into Europe, and then take over in the U.S. That's their belief, and there's 
it's not it's nothing rational. It's the so most we have no choice. The support for it in America is stunning to me because it's a, it's the most radically un-American thing I can think of. Because one of the tenets of this country is freedom of religion and freedom of oppression for any religion. In the United States of America, you and I can start our own religion. As a matter of fact, <laughs> not a good idea. I'm a minister. <laughs> there is. Did you ever see the movie Giora, the Big Lebowski? No. It's a funny comedy movie. It's a Coen Brothers movie. It's fantastic. It's it's very goofy, very iconic movie. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of sort of philosophical sayings in the movie. And so these guys and the, and the nickname of the, the lead character, they just call him the dude. OK, so these guys got together and they created a religion based on the teachings of this movie. And they call it dudeism. And it is a legitimate religion here in the United States because we have freedom of religion. And so. You can be a Dudist minister by going to the website and clicking a button. And so I'm a, a minister of Dudism. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad idea. Well, the whole the whole point of the religion is to relax and slow down. That's the main objective. Um, and so how does this how did well, let me a couple questions. Number one, of course, there's a lot of negative PR. Um, the horror shows that we see of the children and, and people in the rubble and, you know, the, the images coming out of Gaza um, uh, make everybody cry. And so there's a lot of criticism for Israel, uh, especially as it relates to civilians. Um, how, how do you think about that, Giora? As I told you early on, it's a very, very saddening uh, for me uh, this is not what we wanted to have. Uh, we wanted to have high-tech companies uh, either initiated in Gaza or initiated in Israel and have a branch on the other side. I'll send you pictures from the event that we had prior to the Hamas uh, taking over. And in, in our medical conference in Gaza, in Arabic, uh, that's what we wanted to do. And then Hamas came up, they shot all the... Uh, all the Arabs that did not believe in the Hamas movement, they escaped into the West Bank. They killed their own people. Uh, we we don't want to kill their people. They killed their own people. They are now we said, okay, we are going to have to take over the northern part of Gaza, evacuate the northern part of Gaza. Please, it's going to be a safe zone to be southern to the Gaza River. They're shooting the people that are trying to leave uh, the northern part of Gaza. Right. And we'll go into the northern part of Gaza. We have no choice. That's where most of the tunnels are, and that's where we're going to start. It's not a secret. We said it. We are begging them to leave. We're allowing them to yes. bring uh, trucks with food to southern Gaza. Dropping the, the Israelis are dropping flyers, telling everybody to leave doing everything possible to communicate this based on what I can see. No, no. So I, I don't know what we can do more than we are doing to try and not hurt civilians. We are taking every possible measure that we can. And how? so how do does this play out, Giora? What, what happens? 
uh, there's all this fear about that it's going to go on forever. There's fear about no, no, Iran. No, 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 there's no, fear no, about no, 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 no. all this stuff. How does this play out? Listen, it's not a military challenge for us. I want to make sure you understand. Uh, you know, the, you know, nothing has changed in the in, in the way wars are being conducted. You first bomb the living shit out of the enemy. Then you put the uh, uh, tanks to shoot at whatever left. And then the infantry goes in uh, with boots on the ground. Nothing in the principle has changed from, I don't know, at least when I served. So, and that's what we're doing now. We're doing part one. We're moving into part two. And we'll eventually have part three. Uh, but it's not going to take five years. It'll take a couple of weeks. Again, I'm not uh, privileged to the plans, so it's just me and old guard thinking it out loud. It's uh, If you do it more carefully, it's a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, and we take the northern part. Uh, not a big deal from a military perspective. There will be casualties. Uh, I'm sure it's not going to be, ah, okay, you expect me here. Okay, I'll come and run into this booby trap. I'm sure it'll be done in a smarter way. Uh, and then, uh, ideally, we end it over either to the UN or to a, a, a group of Arab countries that are civilized, meaning most of the Arab countries are civilized. Saudis, the, 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 the Emirates, the, 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 meaning <coughs> Egypt. Well, well, and of course... One of the things you have to wonder about this is, to your point, uh, and I think a lot of people in the Western world in America don't seem to understand this, that Israel has, over time, normalized very positive relations with many, many Arab, Arab countries, Jordan, Egypt, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so you see a scenario where either the UN or a collection of... Um, Arab countries take takes over all of Gaza, part of Gaza, southern Gaza? Whatever we take over, we don't want to stay there. We don't want to repeat mistakes that we've done in the past. Uh, we don't want to stay there. Ideally, there's a group of Arab countries that are willing to take over. Uh, the UN takes over. Uh, <clears throat> Again, we're open to any idea that uh, would come. And I believe that those that escape to the southern part of uh, Gaza, they would welcome something different than Hamas to rule them. Yes. So, I, I don't know. I'm not sure I have all the answers to all those questions. I'm not sure that somebody has. But, but it is possible, right? I mean, we look in modern history... Um, we look at post-World War II, what happened in places like Germany, in places like Japan, and, and, and really throughout Europe and, and much of the world, places that were devastated uh, by the war, and those economies are thriving now um, because that type of thing happened. You will need a Marshall Plan, you know, after World War II, there was a Marshall Plan. So you'll need a Marshall Plan, uh, I believe the world would support it. Uh, I believe that's the way when you think about these uh, 
so-called liberals in Stanford, Harvard, and the likes, they need to start thinking beyond the bad things that are happening now, that nobody liked, but we are forced to do it. It's a dirty job. Nobody wants to do it. We are forced to do it. But once it's done, out of these rebels, I believe that there's going to be a lot of goodness created uh, that the Gazan people would appreciate. They don't want to live under these machine guns of Hamas, but they don't have enough force to, uh, to rule them out. So we'll do the dirty job that nobody wants to do. And then uh, I guess with US, Europe, uh, UK, France, uh, somehow we'll come up with a solution where we don't stay there. Those barbarians are removed from the border and from the rebels of what's being bound now, there'll come uh, something that's different. We, the, the last thing we need is a, uh, is uh, to control uh, a million uh, Palestinians. That's not our desire. Well, so, absolutely. And Israel left for that exact reason, 2005. Exactly. Um, and so the, the other interesting thing about this is Israel was on the verge of a, a, a deepened uh, relationship with Saudi Arabia, Yes things were moving in a very positive direction with the Saudis pr- just prior to this. So I don't think that changed. You don't think that changes? You, no, it, no, 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 no. The relations are strategic. They, uh, first of all, they're good people. They're, they're good Arabs around the world. <laughs> you know, we are just talking about the bad Arabs, but there's a lot of good Arabs. I mean, we worked with Muslims, you and I, meaning we know that. It's not a big secret. I have Arab so, friends. I have Palestinian friends who live here in Santa Cruz. A buddy of mine runs a wonderful shop right over here. He's very—he has a car dealer. She's an incredibly successful entrepreneur. He's one of my favorite people. So exactly. So, in my view, uh, out of all this evil and out of all this badness, once we get the evil out of the way, and there's no way to do it without being forceful. I mean, if somebody knows uh, differential equations uh, with uh, whatever derivatives uh, they teach in Stanford and he has a better solution, be my guest. I don't know of a better way to do it. So we have to get rid of the Hamas. It's going to be very ugly. It's going to get uglier. But once it's done, there's a lot of opportunity. I'll send you pictures later on, of what happened before the Hamas took over. We started building that. Right. But Hamas took over, and that was the end of it. Well, And this is another thing that I think some people don't understand, which is this Gaza, the West Bank, the Middle East overall, represent for Israel giant economic opportunity, and Israel, for these countries, represents giant economic opportunity, uh, particularly in our industry. I know in others, medical and many others, um, but Israel is a world leader. And so for the Israeli economy to expand, you can't expand a fucking economy during war. You can't expand your economy when 300,000 people are being called up. 
you know, your, your, your eye is off that ball. And so this is the other part I think people here don't understand, which is it's in Israel's interest to have a positive relationships with Saudi Arabia and with Jordan and ultimately with Palestine. And so, you know, my whole life I've heard, quote unquote, two state solution, two state solution. Um, is that a reality now or how do you, how does that part play out? How does the West Bank play out? I'm not sure it's a reality today. We first have to get the job done. But eventually it is. But to get to that point, you need, you need to get the evil and these barbarians uh, outside the fence. I'll send you, again, there's an agenda, there are pictures taken in Gaza with Inner Medical, a company that I, uh, that I founded. I was the chairman and for my brother. We kind of put all the bed aside and said, okay, let's try and build a new world. It's in Arabic. Uh, you need to give it to your Palestinian friends to translate it to yes. uh, some of it. But uh, this is what we wanted to do. Yes. The Hamas didn't want it. What can we do now? We have no choice. We have to wipe them out. Uh, it will be ugly. And uh, I know I'm repeating myself. Some of these uh, so-called good and smart people in Stanford or Harvard uh, would not love to see the, the pictures that come out of it. I don't like, love the pictures that come out of it. But we have to do that if we want to build a, a civilization in a way where you can remain Christian and I can remain Jewish and he can remain Muslim and we're still friends. Listen, uh, when I was at Mercury uh, on one of my visits to Tel Aviv, um, the team made me uh, uh, an honorary Israeli. <laughs> so I don't know if that also means I'm an honorary Jew, but, you know, I've had, I, I'm, and actually I don't know why, but I've had Jewish friends here since I was five, six years old. My whole life I've had Jewish friends. I have tons of Jewish friends today. Now, and I've had the Muslims and the Christians. Of course. Who cares? Of course. Now, how worried are you about, quote-unquote, World War Three, Iran getting in, others getting in, Syria, Russia's support of Iran and Syria, China so, in the background, et cetera, et cetera? That's a, that's a good question. And that's why we can solve part of the equation. I'm not sure we can solve the, and we don't need to solve the world equation. That's why U.S. needs to get involved. Uh, France needs to get involved. U.K. needs to get involved. This is not about Israel and the Hamas. We'll deal with the Hamas. We'll deal with the Hezbollah. That's not the issue. The issue eventually is Iran. Now, we can also deal with Iran. But for that, we need the collaboration of the U.S. Uh, not the boots on the ground. That's not the subject of discussion. We know how to deal with them as well. You have to do it seriously. You have to be smart about the way you do it. But I don't believe that we should handle Iran on our own. It's not our problem. They are closer to uh, other countries in Europe than they are closer to us. 
in Syria is not a problem, in Iraq is not a problem, meaning, unfortunately, those are countries that have been wiped out, so to speak. Right. Not by us, by ISIS, and then taken over. It's an ugly story uh, into itself. Russia, Russia, we, we don't have any interest again. A lot of, we have a lot of Russian immigrants in Israel. Of course. How many, how many Russian Jews are there in Israel? Oh, today there's a significant amount. I don't have the number. I mean, many thousands. Many, many, many thousands. No, many, yes. many, many hundreds of thousands. Many hundreds of thousands. I just don't I mean, we, we employed a ton of them. Look, this is the other crazy part, right? Russians have incredible technology skills. There's not, a, there's not a tech company in the world that doesn't have some offices in the former Soviet Union that I'm this, aware of. Uh, this uh, little shitty company called uh, uh, WhatsApp that was acquired by Facebook. Yeah. The founders are Russians, meaning they're great people. Of course. So there are many Russians in Israel. We have nothing against Russia. We love, we love the Russian people. They're here in Israel. They're integrated into the Israeli economy. But Russia is now ruled by Putin. He has other agendas. Uh, I'm not that smart to understand what Putin wants, why he wanted you to have Ukraine. And it's too big for us. Uh, let us handle the Hamas. Yes. In a serial fashion, we handle the Hezbollah. Let the world worry about Iran. Iran knows they, they are talking about us as a one-bound country. We just tell them that we have a second strike, uh, and that second strike. By the way, the Iranians are the best negotiators that you can find. They will never, never do, in my view, a going to nuke. They'll threaten, they'll do everything they can, but they want to leave. Uh, it's okay for others to die. It's not okay for me to die. You think and that's their the way, attitude? I'm sure that's their attitude. Let me tell you something about those that actually passed the border to Israel and murdered and slaughtered and raped and killed children and killed dogs in Israel. None of them had the rank above a captain. In our side, you know, generals have been killed. We are, the generals lead, the commanders lead the force. In their uh, society, there's a different view. You meant to be killed, and I'm meant to stay alive. I'll share with you one small story that symbolizes it. You know, we had a terrorist event, a... Uh, Many years ago, it was. Have you read the book uh, "Rise to Kill"? I have not, Gior. You should read it. It's the story of the Mossad. Mm. So, and uh, based on true sources. So I talked to the author, and they had one guy that blew himself up between soldiers, and many soldiers were killed. When rescue came in, the second one blew up and killed more soldiers. There were several tens that were killed that day. And there was a third one. And the third one didn't rush to kill himself. So he was captured by the Shabak, was interrogated uh, by the Shabak, and asked him, so why didn't you move in? There were more soldiers and more opportunity to kill. Why don't you go in there and, and blow up yourself? 
said, no, 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 no. They meant to die. I meant to be a commander. I, I'm the supervisor. I meant to live. I was born to live. They should die. So it's totally opposite to our value system. Our value system is that the commanders should lead. The soldiers should follow. So follow me. That's meaning kind of the yes. thing that they don't have that attitude. And the ethos, I, I'm not going to ask anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do. Yes, and you lead by example. Yes. You read, the, it's written in Hebrew, but you read the story of my brother. He was killed because he led his, his, his soldiers under fire. You know what? I think I have a section that has been translated. I'll, I would I'll love to see it, Yura. Please, if you I'll have it. it yeah, yeah, I have it. I'll tell you why I have it. When the company Idamar Medical became successful, people started asking, what is this shitty name, Idamar? Meaning, what does it mean? What is it? And you know, you're working with the best cardiologists and sleep experts in Harvard, Stanford, MIT, Oxford. So I said, you know what? I'll translate some sections so that you understand what the brand Idamar stands for. So I have sections that have been translated uh, into English. Uh, I'll send it to you. And I it's actually uh, one of his uh, uh, one of his soldiers uh, that basically wrote a letter after Itamar was killed about the story how he was killed. And it's a follow me type of story, and that's what kind of reminded me that hmm. uh, this is something that. Again, it's philosophical, it's Western values, value system. It's different than the, than the way Hamas and Hezbollah thinks about it. Yes. You meant to live, I meant to die, or the other way around. Right. It's, it's crazy. Now, Giora, is there, is there anything else you'd like to touch on? No, I think we covered it. We just need to uh, make sure we try to minimize the number of civilian casualties. Some of it is unavoidable, but uh, we'll do the best job we can. And God bless. God bless you. You're my heart aches for Israel. And God bless you. And thank you so much. There he is, my dear friend and mentor, uh, Giora Yaron. Um, if there's somebody in your life who you think would love this episode, why not share it with them right now? Your podcast app has a share button on it. And uh, please make sure you subscribe to um, this podcast so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you so much. All right. We would like to thank you. It means the world to us that you spend, uh, spend your time with us uh, and particularly on important topics like this. So thank you so much for your time and attention. If you want to make a difference to people in the organization, two ideas for you. Uh, israelgives.org that's israelgives.org and doctorswithoutborders.org the good folks at Doctors Without Borders have been trying to make a difference in this region for many, many, many years today's information is provided to you solely for your uh, informational purposes and this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network and warning all episodes do contain nuts all rights are disturbed and um, please contact your doctor, lawyer, accountant, shaman, bud tender yoga instructor and category designer before doing anything uh, about anything that you heard on today's episode. Don't forget to call your mother, 
And there's no such thing as a participation award. There is good and evil in the world, and there is right and wrong in the world. Please remember to take care of yourself and the people that you love. Thank you, Candy Dandy. Love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together. Today, our deepest apologies go to Kanye West. Sorry, Kanye. We just ran out of time for you. Thank you again for your time and attention. And please, take good care.